passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. Stretch the imagination. So let's, uh, let's jump into God's Word. We here at Crosswinds are a church that um, believes in the primacy of the Bible, and one of the ways that we try to remind ourselves of that is every year near the beginning of a new year, so a lot of times it's in January, uh, this year just falls on the calendar to do it here on the last day of 2023, is to look at the charge to take up and read the scriptures. And so in your bulletin, you'll actually see uh, a couple take up and read cards there that list a Bible reading plan. We would encourage you to follow along with that over the course of the next year. Reading the Bible um, is, is a good thing. It's a part of one of our core values as a church is to do everything we can to be rooted as a church as well as as individuals on the Word of God. And so this morning, I want us to consider what exactly that looks like. What does it mean for us to be a people of the Word of God? Acts chapter 17, Paul is on one of his missionary journeys. He's bringing the gospel throughout Europe to all these new communities. He's planting churches, and he gets to this city named Berea. And once he gets to Berea, we're told that the people receive the word of the gospel with eagerness. That's the word eagerness there. But also at the same time, they examine the scriptures daily to make sure that what Paul was saying was true. And so I would say, as we consider that, is that we should be a people like the people of of Berea, that we should check everything with the word of God. One of the hallmarks of our denomination, the EFCA, is the phrase, where stands it written? In other words, we want to be or do everything that we can do, everything that we believe should be rooted in and grounded in the Word of God. And so as we start at the beginning of a new year, that's what we want to take a moment of time to consider. This is a wonderful opportunity to ask the question, what about me? God has created us to be people who live in seasons and in rhythms And milestones, like a new calendar year, are are not meaningless, but they actually provide us with a wonderful opportunity for us to examine our hearts, to examine our habits, to examine our health. You look back over the past year and you can ask yourself, what do my habits say about me, particularly when it comes to reading the Bible, when it comes to prayer? As we look back over the past year, we can ask ourselves, well, what what does that say about my heart? What is my greatest delight when I consider what my last year has looked like? Is there any evidence of spiritual health? Have I grown spiritually over the past year? And as you ask ask these questions and, and hopefully wrestle with them, we can go from there and say, okay, now what do I want the next year to look like? As I go into 2024, what would it look like to make this a year committed to the Word of God? And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. There are a number of ways that we've done this over the last several years as we've focused on our commitment to the Word of God. We can look at John 15 and what does it mean to abide in the Word of God. We can look at Deuteronomy 32 and Moses talks about the the Scriptures are a matter of life and death. We can look at Psalm 1, the importance of meditating on the Word of God. What I want to do is to look at two texts. The first text gives us our charge 
The second text gives us our motivation for the new year. Now, the first text we'll look at actually holds a very special place in my wife's heart and my heart because it's the verse that we had in mind when we named our second son Ezra. It's been our constant prayer for our son Ezra. If you don't know Ezra, he's a rambunctious five-year-old who loves Pokemon, Lionel Messi, and I just found out this morning because you have hot chocolate here and not in Spencer, he loves hot chocolate. His brother's giggling right now as I talk about Ezra. I gave him a warning that I would be talking about him, so, but I said it would be focused on the, uh, the that's all I'm going to say about that Ezra. Let's talk about the real Ezra. Now, you're a real Ezra too. I'm sorry, bud. Ah, man, this is the problem about naming your kids in, from Bible characters, I guess. Ezra lived 450 years before the time of Jesus. The people of Israel had been kicked out of their land because of their wickedness, and they were dwelling in exile in the land of Babylon. Ezra was a priest who eventually led a portion of the people of Israel back to Jerusalem. And this was a a massive, significant moment because it wasn't just a change of address, but it was also, and more importantly, the restoration of worship for the people of Israel. And so you get to Ezra chapter 7, and we're, we're encountering this man, Ezra, and, and what was he like? And we get this description of him in Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it. That's a powerful passage. Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it. And the rest of of that verse actually talks about Ezra has this heart commitment to actually teach others about the word of God. And that's something that each of us should consider. What does it look like for me to teach others the word of God? And sometimes that might just mean in a small setting, maybe the family that we have. It doesn't have to be a public way. It can be one-on-one. What does it look like for us to teach others the word of God? But I want to focus primarily on this idea of setting our hearts to study the Word of God and to do it, what we see here at the beginning of chapter 7, verse 10. As we stand at the beginning of a new year, we have to ask ourselves, what is it that we are setting our hearts upon? We all have to wrestle with this question because we are going to, you are going to set your heart on something this year. If you choose not to consciously set your heart on something this year, then that means you are deciding to let other things set the direction of your heart. The world will set the priorities of your heart if you do not consciously choose to set the direction of your heart. So we have to ask ourselves at the beginning of a new year, what am I going to set my heart upon? What is it that's going to capture my heart's attention this year? And I would love for us to get to to December 31st, 2024, and all of us to say, looking back, that we were a people who not perfectly, but at least in some part, could be summed up by the words of Ezra chapter 7 verse 10 to set our hearts to study the law of God. Now that's Ezra's heart direction. That's his resolve. 
But that's not all this chapter, this verse tells us. We see that there is a natural overflow from that heart posture and direction that, that leads to action. Not only does he commit to study the word of God, but he is also someone who commits to do the word of God. Increasing our knowledge of God's word without obedience is worthless. And I would say it's actually less than worthless. James agrees. But be doers of the word and not hearers, only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he, himself, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. When our kids were first learning to talk, we would bring them into the bathroom and look at the mirror, show them themselves in the mirror, and we would say, who's that? And they would reply with confidence, me. That's me. There, there wasn't this pause, like, oh, who is it this time? It didn't take a, a long period of time of, of deduction. It, it wasn't something we had to teach them over and over and over again. They knew what they looked like because they had seen themselves in the mirror before. And that's what James has in mind. When we set our hearts to study the Word of God this year, one of the most important things that we can do is to not only study it, but to listen and obey it. Commit to not only study, but also to do the Word of God each and every day. And for Ezra, his commitment to studying the Word of God necessarily overflowed into an obedience to the Word of God. Now, we might ask ourselves, well, what does that look like practically? Many of us, most of us, maybe all of us have set a New Year's resolution before, and just as many of us who have set a New Year's resolution have failed in that New Year's resolution. What would it look like for us? How could we possibly make this different than any other thing? What would it look like for us to platform the example of Ezra, this two-pronged commitment to study the Word of God and to do the Word of God without also losing sight of what it looks like for us to live a life like that? If we don't look at why this matters so much, it will lead us to failure. Why should our hearts be set on the Word of God? That's the question I want us to ask with the rest of our time this morning found in Psalm 19. Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11, give us a little bit of a piece of the answer to that question. These verses, Psalm 19, are, are, are this idea of the benefits that are ours when we read the Word of God, when we obey the Word of God, and hopefully they will answer questions that we might have of why. Why should I read the Word of God? What good is the Word of God? Even provide us with the motivation when, or especially when, it does not seem worth it to us. Now, Psalm 19 is a fascinating psalm. It roughly breaks into two parts. The first part, verses 1 through 6, David declares how God speaks in creation. And you've probably experienced this before. If you've ever marveled at the night sky, or at a sunrise or a sunset, you've, you've just stared in wonder and awe at this beautiful canvas of golds and pinks and purples and oranges and said, this declares the glory of God. 
then you know what, God, what David is talking about here. Creation cries to the glory of God in a language that all people around the globe can understand. But there's a challenge. Because creation, as beautiful and as awe-inspiring as it may be, doesn't tell the whole story. Several years ago, our family was in the Black Hills. And we were uh, speaking with this one woman who, once she heard that I was a pastor, uh, just kind of cuts me off and, and points out at the woods and the hills around us. Beautiful, by the way. And she points at all of this says, stuff and says, this is my church. This is where I encounter God. And you know, in one sense, I, I get what she was saying. I would be lying if I said I hadn't felt that same awe standing on the top of a mountain or in a silent forest, or on an early morning sunrise bike ride on county roads outside of town. I've, I've, I've seen the glory of God on display in creation, and yet, that's not enough. That's not enough. Creation can point us to God, but it can't tell us what He is like, and for that we need the Bible. That's what David gets at at the rest of Psalm 19. After speaking of how God reveals himself generally in creation, we see David switches his focus and looks at how God specifically reveals himself in the scriptures. In verses 7 through 9, we see David give us several attributes of the word of God, and then that follows that with an, an implication of that of why the, the Word of God is so important, describing these benefits of what happens when we set our hearts to study the law of the Lord and to do it. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to follow along in Psalm 19, starting in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Would you pray with me? Father, wherever we are this morning and whatever our, our hearts are like, I'm sure there are some people here that our heart's passion and desire for you is like a blazing fire. Others, feels like a coal that's on the verge of going out. Jesus, we ask that you would come and speak to us through your spirit. We ask that you would help all of us to delight in your word. Help us to be a people who set our hearts upon the study of the Word of God and who also respond to it in and with obedience. Thank you for your Word, God. That's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. So why should we study the Word of God? Well, we'll see that there are six reasons. The first one is this. The Word of God revives the soul. The Word of God revives the soul. Consider again the first half of verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect reviving the soul. One of the things you'll notice throughout Psalm 19 is that David, the author, uses a number of different ways to describe the Word of God, the law of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commandments of the Lord. All of these are referring to the Word of God. It's a, it's a song, it's poetry, and so he's using different ways to describe the exact same thing. 
First, he just starts by saying that the word of God is perfect and it's without blemish. And that means far more than the fact that you can't find typos in the Bible, you can't find contradictions in the Bible. This is a declaration that the Bible says exactly what God wants it to say, exactly how God wanted to say it. Sometimes we refer to this as inerrancy, the fact that the Bible is without error in the original writings. And there are a number of implications of this statement that the word of God is perfect. But notice what David focuses on. He says that the word of God revives the soul. And this language is important language. It says something about the reality of life and the worth of the word of God. Notice how it describes the reality of of life. The reality is life can be difficult. We go through seasons of plenty, and then we go through seasons of what feels like famine. We go through times where our life feels like everything is going just about perfectly, and there are times where it is a struggle even to get out of bed in the morning. And by saying that the Word of God revives the soul, we have to first recognize that, that the Bible is saying, hey, you know what? Sometimes our souls need reviving. Sometimes we need reviving when it comes to the Word of God. Sometimes life is too much of us and our faith goes cold. I'll be honest and transparent. That's kind of the way I felt over the last week or so. We had family in town, and uh, I don't know, over the holidays, your rhythms can sometimes uh, get messed up. And, And for us, We had a lot of family staying with us, and so the place where I always would read my Bible in the morning was now being used as a bedroom. And so I would try to read my Bible in a different location, and we have our kids and cousins, and they're all running around and screaming, and I'd read through the Bible three, four chapters and have no idea what I just read. I could tell you what the kids were playing. I couldn't tell you what 2 Samuel or 2 Chronicles chapter 29 tells you. And I got to a point where I just needed my heart to be revived. And, and family went home yesterday. Just preface this by saying I'm so thankful they came and visited us. Especially if they're watching the live stream right now. But I had my spot where I read my Bible back. And this morning God was so kind. I opened up his word and it was like a, a, a cool drink of water reviving my soul. That's what David is describing here. This picture also gives us a glimpse of the worth of the Word of God. David claims that the Word of God is able to revive the soul, to bring new life to those who are burned out, to to bring color to our worlds. It just seemed to be like in a muted, muted gray. If God's Word says exactly what God intends for it to say and says it the exact way that God intended to say it, then his Holy Spirit can and does use it to revive weary souls. And now that's not to say that it happens every single time we open the Bible. Sometimes it takes days or weeks or even months before God will revive our soul through the discipline of reading his word. One of our favorite songs to sing with our kids years ago comes from a, uh, an, an album by Sovereign Grace uh, It's an album based off of the Proverbs, and this song specifically is based off of Proverbs 2. It's called Nuggets of Gold, and I I love the way that this song describes it because it's basically saying the Word of God is like nuggets of gold, 
And, and the reason I love that picture is because a gold miner can go through long stretches without anything to show for their commitment. But eventually, all of that work is worth it and more when they finally strike gold. And in the same way, if you're diligent in studying the Word of God, you will not... This is a promise. You will not go unrewarded if you commit to study the Word of God. God guarantees that He will revive your soul. It might not happen immediately, but God guarantees He will revive your soul through regular time in His Word. Why do we study the Word of God first? It's because it revives the soul. We're given another declaration here in Psalm 19, second half of verse 7. The Word of God gives wisdom. It gives us wisdom. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. David says that the Word of God is sure. This isn't a statement necessarily about its rightness, as though he's just saying the exact same thing that he said in the first half of this verse. He's instead saying that it is trustworthy. And that's what other translations will say here. Basically, what David is saying is that you can stake your life on the Word of God. A right understanding of God's Word will never put you to shame. It's easy to see how this type of commitment leads to wisdom. If the Word of God is worth trusting in what it tells us about God, then the more time we spend in it, the more wisdom we gain. Elsewhere in the Psalms, David points this out. Psalm 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Why is the man who meditates on the word of God day and night considered to be blessed? Well, the answer is actually given to us in the rest of the psalm, where we see the result of these two paths, devoting your life to the word of God or or not, to devoting to other things. Verse 3, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like shaft that the wind drives away. Again, this, this shouldn't surprise us. We talk about this with kids and students all the time. We call it peer pressure. We become like those that we hang out with, that we surround ourselves with. And the one who surrounds himself with the wicked will become as useless as shaft. But for the one who commits herself to the fully trustworthy word of God, she begins to become more and more and more like God who reveals himself in the scriptures. She becomes wise. Wisdom is simply just taking knowledge and applying it to a specific context. With our kids, we use the phrase, wisdom is knowing the right thing to do at the right time. That's, that's what wisdom is. It's taking specific knowledge and applying it to a situation. One person describes wisdom and knowledge like this. Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. That's the, that's the difference there. It's to know knowledge, but then to apply it, how to live life in a specific way. We need wisdom 
to know how to rightly live in an increasingly complex world. And we can find it in the Word of God because God gives wisdom through His Word. Let's keep going. Verse 8. Why commit to the Word of God this year? Because the Word of God produces joy. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. David declares that the scriptures are right, meaning that they are just. In a world that is filled with countless examples of injustice, the word of God shows what true justice is like. Of course, justice in the context of the Bible is more than just righting wrongs, although it does include that. It is a system of life working the way that it was meant to work. Justice is the source of peace that you feel when you get a taste of eternity in this life. So if you are a a parent, and when you're kids, the siblings that get along, that's a taste of eternity. That's a taste of justice in this life. When people express gratitude to you for what you have done for them, that's a, that's a taste of justice in this life. When, when you have this, this mindset of just, you know what, you can't really even explain it. There's nothing profound about it, but you just have a, a good, simple day. That's a taste of justice in this life. The Bible gives us snippets of, of life like that. Fully realized in the day that Jesus comes and establishes his kingdom forever, but we get little glimpses of that now. And we might say, well, no wonder this produces joy, right? Joy can can be this expression of, of elation, but not always. Sometimes joy is subdued. Sometimes joy is even tinged with sorrow. Oftentimes, joy is filled with, filled with longing. Wouldn't you like to be more joyful this year than in past years? Psalm 19 tells us that even though we can't control our circumstances, we can live more joy-filled lives in the year to come. And the key is found in drinking deep from the Word of God. There's another thing that Psalm 19 tells us in verse 8. The Word of God brings enlightenment. It brings enlightenment. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoice in the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. You know, I'm, I'm convinced that there is no other place that makes greater sense of the senselessness of this world than in the Word of God. The grand story of the Bible makes sense of the world as it is in a way that nothing else can. It tells us of the beauty that humanity had in the Garden of Eden, the the beauty that was once lost because of sin, the, the coming beauty that surpasses everything when Jesus returns in the new creation. It provides us with the best example and explanation to the brokenness that we see around us and provides us with the best explanation of the longings that we find in our hearts for something more, for something better than this life. The Word of God brings enlightenment because it makes sense of the world. But there's another way that the Word of God brings enlightenment. You might have noticed, I mentioned it earlier, in your 
bulletin or as you walked in, there are these take up and read cards. We talk a lot about take up and read. And I've shared this multiple times over the last several years. I believe Pastor Kurt has as well. That phrase, take up and read, comes from something that took place 1,600 years ago. 1,600 years ago, there was a man living in Italy, one of the most brilliant man's minds of the day. His, his mother had prayed for him for years, but all of it to no avail. He loved the pleasures of this world, didn't really want anything to do with God or his word. And yet after chasing multitudes of women, after living for years with, in parties, he was left feeling empty and wishing that there was something more. And so one day he was sitting inside his study and he hears a little child outside his window in the garden singing a common child song of the day, tole et lege, tole et lege, which when we translate it means take up and read, take up and read. And so the man does exactly that. He, he thinks, well, maybe this is God trying to speak to me. And so he picks up his Bible and opens it at random to Romans chapter 13, verses 13 and 14, and he reads this. Let us walk properly in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And this man was cut to the heart, and he was forever changed. And his name might be one that you are familiar with. It is St. Augustine of Hippo, a man whose writings on Christianity have influenced every single one of us today, whether you realize it or not. What led him to that moment? What changed his life? What shaped the history, not only of the church, but of human civilization for millennia to come? Take up and read. He picked up his Bible and he read it. And his eyes were opened because God enlightened his heart, and his mind, and he was able to understand. The Word of God brings enlightenment. I'll make you a promise. If over the next 367 days, I think, through the end of 2024, if you devote yourself to read the Bible this year, if you commit to take up and read, if you do that wholeheartedly, you don't even have to do it every day. Wholeheartedly half the time. If that makes sense. Not half-heartedly, whole time. Wholeheartedly half the time. By the Spirit's help, you, 367 days from now, will not be unchanged. You will be a different person because God uses his word to enlighten, to open eyes, to transform lives. The word of God brings enlightenment and that means transformation. Let's look at our fifth point. Verse nine tells us that the word of God will never fail us. It will never fail us. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. David describes the word of God as clean, and we might say, well, what exactly does that mean? The word clean is used in the Bible to remind us of the importance in Old 
covenant ways of, of remaining ceremonially clean in order to worship God. So in the Old Testament, you could become unclean and therefore unable to worship God temporarily based off of the food that you ate, or maybe the way you ate food, or improperly washing a dish. So what does David have in mind when he says that the Word of God is clean? Well, he's stressing that that the Word of God, unlike everything else in the world, everything else in the world can become unclean, it can become tainted, but not the Bible. Its message will endure to the end. And that's what David says in the latter half of this verse. The Word of God will endure to the end. What is the implication of the unending nature of the Word of God? It's an incredible reminder. God will never fail you. Contrary to claims for centuries that the Bible has not and will not remain true, it has never fallen out of relevance. Now, we might have to change the way that we apply specific passages to our current context. We should. But God has never issued a revision to the Bible. He never will have to update what he has said in the Bible. It will never fail you. You will never find yourself in a situation where you can say, you know what? The Bible left me high and dry this time because the Word of God will never fail you. One final truth from this passage. If we set our hearts to study the Word of God, the Word of God will define right living. It defines right living. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So what does it mean for us to be righteous? It means that if we, we, we live our lives in the right way. And here's just one small example of how God's revelation in the Bible is different and better than his revelation in nature. After this service, go outside. Maybe not stand in the parking lot, but go outside Look up at the sky, even though it's kind of a cloudy day. Drink in the beauty of the sky. Marvel that the earth didn't fail to revolve around the sun today. Sunrise, even though you may not have seen it, still happened. Just as it happens each and every day. And while you are staring up at the sky, as you're worshiping, ask yourself, what does this reveal to me about what God is like? Maybe more specifically, how does this reveal to me how God wants me to live? And I'll give you the answer before you even do this exercise. You can't learn anything. You look up at the sky, you can marvel at his power, you can marvel at his beauty, you can marvel at his glory, but you can't really learn anything else about him. Is he angry? Does does he know I exist? Does he care about how I live my life? What does he want from me? Does he want a relationship with me? Does he want me to live a certain way? What happens if I don't obey him? That's why the scriptures are essential for humanity because in the scriptures, we see God reveal himself. Not completely, but faithfully. 
He has given us everything that we need, according to 2 Peter chapter 1, for life and godliness. He has revealed exactly what he intends to reveal. And we can have confidence to say, I know who God is. I know what God is like. I know what God has done. And I know what he asks of me. And it's here where we see the marriage of these two pieces of Ezra's heart commitment. The commitment to study the word of God, but also his commitment to to do the word of God. I, I can't be obedient. I can't live life the right way without knowing the Bible. In contrast, if I know the Bible, but I don't live it out, then I am what the Bible describes as a fool. The very definition of a fool. These two are inseparable. Hear and do. Study and obey. The word of God is essential to right living. A life that pleases God. And after these six benefits, David, as he's writing this psalm, he gives us the value of the word of God. We see this in verse 10. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. What is the worth of God? It is more valuable, more precious than any sum you can comprehend. What is the worth of the word of God? It is more delightful than the sweetest of delicacies. In other words, what David is saying is that we would be absolute fools if we ignore this incredible gift from God as God's message in creation. As good as it might be, his word is infinitely better because he reveals himself truly and faithfully that we might know him. But David doesn't stop there in Psalm 19. Verse 11, he gives us a warning and a promise. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Earlier I said that if we read the Word of God but don't live it out, it's less than worthless in our lives. That's what David is saying here. If you expose yourself to the Word of God over and over and over, you can consider yourself warned. You can no longer plead ignorance before God. When you study the word of God, you open yourself up to the way of God, the truth of God, and you will respond. There's there's no going back. You will respond to the word of God in one of two ways. The question is, which way will you respond? By ignoring it or by obeying it? By trusting it? By hoping in it? Not perfectly, but faithfully and regularly. That's the question each of us has to ask ourselves this morning. What will we do with the year that is before us? You have 367 days until the beginning of 2025. Here's my plea. In 2024, set your hearts to study and do the Word of God. That's it. 
Be like Ezra. Make a decision in your heart to set your heart to study and do the word of God. And I promise you, if you do that, your life will be changed forever. You'll get to the end of 2024 and you'll look back over the last 366 days of that year. And there will be some ups and there will be some downs. But you will look at where you are compared to where you once were. Your love for Jesus, the fruit that you are bearing, And you'll see that there was transformation. In 2024, set your heart to study and do the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us through it. And we ask now that you would, through your spirit, strengthen us to be a people who take up and read who submit ourselves to you through your word, who glorify you because of your word. Help us, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Jordan's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.